heights to the depths of the sea. So then the, it says, notice verse 4, Then the city was broken through, and all the men of war inside, they fled at night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city, and the king went out by way of the plain. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Our scripture today says, Then the city wall was broken through. At this desperate point of Judah during the siege of Jerusalem, Zedekiah made a last-chance effort to escape the grip of a successful siege. They planned a secret break through the city walls and the siege lines of Babylon using a diversionary tactic. Although King Zedekiah escaped for a short period of time, he probably thought that his strategy was successful and that he escaped the judgment that prophets such as Jeremiah had promised. Yet God's word was demonstrated to be true, and he was captured in the plains of Jericho. Now here's Pastor Rob. Verse 45, it says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you do not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you're destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or of the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your own body the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. Now, we know that that did happen when the Assyrians came against the northern ten tribes and it's going to happen in the, in the southern two tribes too. They're going to get so hungry they will eat their own young and it gets even worse. 
The sensitive and the very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. And the tender and the delicate woman among you, who would not venture to set the foot, sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears. For she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. And if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in the, this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he'll bring back to you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed, and you shall be left few in number. Whereas... You were as the stars of heaven in multitude because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked off the land which you go to possess. And then the Lord will scatter you from among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. What a horrible thing, isn't it? And, but, you know, as we look at that, and as you, if you read those and you didn't understand the character of God, you might think, well, this is a God that I don't want to serve. But as we will see tonight and as we've already read, God is a God of grace. He is a God of grace, but he's very serious about sin. Again, whether it's an individual or a nation. And I want to ask you, are you taking your sin seriously? Or are you like Israel, playing footloose and fancy free with it? And see, we can't do that, folks. And, and today we live in a culture, we live in Babylon. We live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think literally. I never thought... I would see the things that I'm seeing, that I'm seeing now. In some cities and in public libraries, things that are going on that are just horrendous. Horrendous. Sodom and Gomorrah has come to America. And what is the church, what are we going to do? How do we respond to that? How are you going to respond to that? May the Lord birth within us a desire to really draw close and to really take an inventory of our own life and say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done with my... The things I've been flirting with over here and the things I've considered over here. Maybe the things that I'm doing right now, I want to be done with it. And I want to be done with it now because I'm scared. (laughs) And it's okay to be scared. Did you know fear brought me into the kingdom of God? Somebody told me that if I didn't receive Christ, I was going to go to hell. And I believed them because I knew I deserved it. So fear is not a bad thing. If it draws you away from God, that's a bad thing. But if fear draws you into the kingdom of God where he will ultimately show his love and tender mercy toward you, then so be it. Right? 
So be it. Fear is not a bad thing. Let's look at 2 Kings 25. It says, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, and it's speaking of Zedekiah's reign. He reigned from 597 to 586 B.C., a total of of, uh, uh, 11 years. And in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, a very specific time, notice, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So all around the city of Jerusalem, they're building a wall around it. And basically what that does is that even if they're able to get out, they have to go through another wall to get out. And that causes, it allows them to see who's, who's trying to escape the city, and it also keeps them in, and, and they, they they can't get out. And, and by doing this, they would starve them. And so this ninth year and tenth month of Zedekiah's reign would put this literally in January of 588 B.C. And so the city, verse 2, was besieged until the eleventh year of King Hezekiah. His eleventh year was his last year, which was 586. That was the time when Nebuchadnezzar finally came, after besieging it, finally coming against it and torching it with fire and killing some people and taking others captive back to Babylon. So verse 3, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. And so this was the ninth, this was July 16th, 586 BC. And it was the ninth of Av. Av is the fourth or fifth month of the Jewish calendar. It's a, it's a Babylonian calendar and Babylonian names, by the way, which they still keep. But the ninth of Av is actually uh, the time, and this is an interesting fact, that both Hebrew temples were destroyed on the very same day in the Hebrew calendar, the 9th of Av. And many other things happened on the 9th of Av pertaining to the Jews. I don't know if it was their enemies uh, designed to make it on that day or whether it was just happenstance, but today the Jews treat the 9th of Av, that month, that day of that month, they treat it as a day of mourning. So then it says, notice, verse 4, Then the city was broken through, and all the men of war inside, they fled at night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city, and the king went out by way of the plain. So this, this wall that it's speaking of, or this place where the king and his men got out, was in the southern part of of, of Zion, which is the city of David. If you were to look at the Temple Mount here, right to the south of the Temple Mount, there's a little sliver of land, and that's where the king's palace was. That's where the king lived. And right at the end of that, underneath that, is the Valley of Hinnom, where they would have the sacrifices at, at certain times. It was also a trash dump. But they would enter out through a way back there, and they did it by night, thinking that they could get by the Chaldeans, meaning the Babylonians. And so they fled eastward, going toward the Jordan Valley, perhaps trying to flee to the other side of the Jordan, or hide within the covert of the cliffs and the caves near the Jordan Valley, perhaps even trying to make their way down toward En Gedi, along the western shore of the Dead Sea, which, if you've been to Israel with us, you know that that area along the Dead Sea is riddled with caves and little clefts in the rock, and literally thousands of people could hide, and you'd never know that there was anybody there. 
So many little pocks in the rocks, little cliffs going back 20 feet, 30 feet, several hundred feet, little caves, little crevices where you can hide. Some, some of them are very big. David and his, a couple hundred of his men hid in one in Engedi when he was being chased by Saul. And Saul came in to do his business right inside that cave. And all these men are in the back in the dark and they didn't even know. Saul didn't even know that there were like two or three hundred guys being very quiet, which is another miracle. <laughs> right? Three, two or three hundred guys being quiet. Verse 5, but the army of the Chaldeans, they pursued the king and they overtook him. Notice how far they got. They overtook them in the plains of Jericho. Now, uh, if you know Israel and you've been there, you know what a, what a trek it is to go from the Temple Mount area and then to go eastward uh, into, uh, down the road, down the hill, down the mountain really, into the Jordan Plain. And right there at the bottom, right to the left, is Jericho. And so they somehow managed, and maybe they did it one by one and the, the Chaldeans didn't see them. I don't know. But they got pretty far before they overtook them and finally and got them. And, and, and it says that the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king. They overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And Jericho is in the Jordan Valley, and the Jordan Valley is in between two mountains. On each side of, uh, of the Jordan Valley are two mountain ranges, and right there in the middle is a fault line. That, that Jordan River lies right on a major tectonic plate. And if there's ever an earthquake big enough, it's going to split that thing. <laughs> okay, so it's a fault line that goes right down the center of the Jordan Valley. And so they took the king... They got him, they brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment upon him. Now, Riblah is north of Damascus. It's, it's several miles north of Damascus on the Orontes River, up in modern-day Lebanon, Syria, and that area up there. It says, Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and then they bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. So the last thing he sees is the execution of his sons that would be the heirs to the throne of David. But the throne of David is going to be interrupted for quite a long time. The king is coming. <laughs> and when he comes, he's going to take his rightful, rightful place on the throne of Judah, on the throne of David. It's been without its king for a couple thousand years now. But Jesus is coming, and you're coming with him. And you're going to rule and reign with him, Christian. That ought to put a big smile a mile wide on your face, because we're going to be with him. And in new bodies, too, which I think is really great, because all my hair will grow back. I'll have these nice long blonde locks like I had when I was a teenager, instead of this. But what's interesting is while already... By this time, Nebuchadnezzar had already come against Jerusalem. In 606 B.C., Nabopolassar, Nebuchadnezzar's father, began taking some of the... Daniel tells about it in the first couple of verses of his, of his prophecy. How Nebuchadnezzar, or Nabopolassar, his father, came and took some of the kids captive took some of the, the, the best of the best, including was Daniel and his three friends. And I believe Ezekiel was also in that first um, uh, deportment that 
Nebuchadnezzar had grabbed. He took only the best. He took the king's kids. He took the very best of Judah and took them captive. And Daniel and his three friends and Ezekiel was among that group of people. But while already now, as we're reading this, as, as these events are transpiring, Ezekiel is already in Babylon. An easy way to remember that there's two exilic, uh, really three exilic prophets, uh, meaning they, they, they wrote and prophesied during the exile of Babylon. One was Jeremiah, and it starts with a J, but he always stayed in Jerusalem until he, was, he went to Egypt afterwards. But Je- Jeremiah wrote his prophecy in Jerusalem. Ezekiel was one of the first, with Daniel, we believe, to go into captivity into Babylon. So he wrote his prophecy, the book of Ezekiel, while in Babylon, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. And then Daniel, he wrote his prophecy while in Babylon. But while already in exile with a great number of Jews, Ezekiel in Babylon began acting out for the, 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 the exiles there, the Jewish exiles, the captives. He began acting out for them what was coming yet upon Jerusalem and also what would become of King Zedekiah. Let me just read this for you and for the sake of time. You can write it down in the margin of your Bible, but it's Ezekiel chapter 12. We're just going to look at the first 16 verses. So Ezekiel is acting out what is going to happen yet to the rest of Jerusalem and King Zedekiah very specifically. Now again, he's hundreds of miles away. It hasn't happened yet. As he's doing this, he's writing these things down. And when the others come into captivity, they're going to read about what God showed him. And then we didn't, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have iPhones. Hey, guess what? Ezekiel's acting up again. I mean, they had nothing like that. So Ezekiel 12, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see but does not see, and ears to hear but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity, and go into captivity by day in their sight. So he's already in captivity, but he's showing the captives in Babylon What is going to happen yet to the remnant that are still back in Jerusalem? And so he says to him, You shall go to your place into captivity, to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity. And at evening you shall go in their sight, like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight you shall bear them on your shoulder and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. And so I did, Ezekiel said, as I was commanded. And I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And at evening I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem. He's speaking about Zedekiah, Israel's or Judah's last king. This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am a sign to you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. 
And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. And they shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. So here, think about this. God is giving to Ezekiel, moment by moment, what's going to come to pass. And he's writing it down. And then finally, when these captives, when they finally, in 586, when they finally go into Babylon... Ezekiel's going to write and show it to him and say, look what I wrote down a a while ago. Did this happen? Yeah, God told me. He told me what was coming. He shall, uh, let me see. I will spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it. Though he shall die there. Notice, he's not going to see it. Why? Because at Riblah, before he would even be sent to Babylon, his sons would be killed in front of him, and then his eyes would be poked out. He would not see Babylon, although he would go into prison and ultimately die there. And I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and, and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. I guess so. Then I will scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword and from famine and from pestilence, that they may declare all, they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I'm the Lord. And what an amazing thing. This is how I'm going to prove to you that I am who I say I am. I told you way in advance, I told you back in in Leviticus, we looked at that tonight, I told you back in Deuteronomy, way before we even came into the promised land, and now it's coming to pass. And by the way, I'm going to tell you what's going to come next. And I love that about God. And then he told them, but at the end, I'm going to draw you back into your land. What God is a God like this? Who is this God that does this? Do you know of anyone who would be willing to do that, that can do that? We don't even have the understanding of of what's going to happen tomorrow. We can't tell what's going to happen tomorrow. You think on September 10th, anybody knew that those two towers were going to go down and the Pentagon was going to be wrecked and a a plane was going to crash in the middle of the field on Pennsylvania? You think anybody had that on their mind? Nobody knew. There were some rattlings about something going on, but nobody knew for sure. And yet God says, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. What kind of God is this? Well, he's Jehovah. He's Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no fighting him. If you want to resist him, have at it, because you're going to lose. If you want to resist God, you are, it's a fool's errand. You will lose. If you're like me, I want to surrender quickly. When I feel any pain whatsoever, even if it's something I ate for dinner, I'm confessing things I hadn't even done yet. And I'm like, Lord, I confess, whatever it is, I had too many burgers, I know, Lord. I know that's gluttony and it's a sin, but would you help me? He's a good God. He's a good Lord. And you and I serve him. You and I know him, and guess what? He knows you, and his spirit indwells you. Isn't that wonderful to know that his spirit indwells you? 
There is no greater feeling in the world. And yes, feeling. I don't like talking about feelings that much, but you know what? There is a feeling that you can have in your gut, in your heart, in your being when you know the Spirit of God is residing on the throne of your heart and you're willing to let Him. You're, not, you're no longer trying to fight Him. You're surrendering. Surrender. Surrender. And we're going to see that tonight. God is going to tell the Jews, surrender to Babylon. Don't resist them. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.